It's great to see you all. My name is Gabby. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill. And it is a great uh, privilege for me to be sharing the message this morning. This is not something that I take lightly. So I'm very, very grateful that I get to do this every now and then. It brings a great joy to my heart. Uh, will you help me pray that God speaks through me and right into your hearts this morning? Father God, we recognize that you are right here with us today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together, to celebrate you, to rejoice in you, and to learn from you. I ask you, God, I ask your Holy Spirit to go before me, to infuse my words with your wisdom, with your love, and with your hope. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word, Father. May it bless uh, and comfort your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today we are in week two of a series that we are calling The Search for Joy. We are working our way through the book of Philippians, a book that is mostly known as the book of joy. And our topic today is going to be about uh, an inseparable part of joy and a reality for many of us in this room, and that is suffering. I know it doesn't sound very exciting, and trust me, I do not want to lose you right at the beginning of my sermon, <laughs> but I do know that there are many of you here who are going through very difficult times, and maybe, maybe when you heard that we were going to spend six weeks talking about joy, you thought, joy! How do you expect me to experience joy when my husband is dying? When I'm going through a divorce? When my little daughter has a brain tumor? If you're going through something difficult this morning or you have been for a while, this sermon is for you. Last week, Pastor Dave introduced us to this book and today I wanna give you just a little bit more context for this specific sermon. As most of us know, the letter was written by Paul to the Philippians somewhere around the year 60 or 62 AD. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was actually in prison. The letter to the Philippians is one of four letters that he wrote while he was in this prison. And those letters are Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And if you did not know that Philemon was a book in the Bible, now you know. You should read it. Now, this particular prison wasn't as brutal as other prisons where Paul had been. She, she no, he. He was actually on house, under house arrest, but that doesn't mean that his circumstances were not difficult. He was in prison for about two years, and most scholars believe that during the entire time that he was there, he was in chains and most likely chained to a guard. So just imagine that. He was awaiting a hearing before Nero, who was the Caesar at that time, so matters of life and death were constantly in Paul's mind. This was his immediate context when he wrote his letter, but as we know, Paul went through a lot of suffering during his entire life. In fact, suffering was a constant companion for him, especially in his life as a missionary. In fact, one of his letters to the Corinthians, he explains his suffering in great detail, and they are so incredibly brutal 
that it's hard to believe that this man had the courage to continue on with his mission and more importantly, to live his life, as he described it, full of joy. Listen to his description from the second letter to the Corinthians. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and, have, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have also been naked. Now, why am I going on and on and on about his suffering? Because many of us believe or want to believe that joy will come when our lives get easier or better or wealthier or you name it. But the reality is that none of those things are necessary for us to experience a life of joy. And Paul's life is a great example, an extremist example, but a great example for us today. Now listen to his words in his letter to the Philippians. We're going to be reading chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And as I read, please keep this context in mind. Just imagine him in that cell, in that uh, prison, saying these words. I want you to know, brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of self-ambition, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that your rejoicing for me may overflow in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Wow. This man truly had a joyful heart. How can someone who has endured so much suffering be able to experience so much joy? What is it about suffering that brought the best out of Paul? Or perhaps the question for us this morning is, how can suffering help us, teach us, prepare us to fully experience the joy that we find in Jesus? This week I decided to spend quite a bit of time, too much time really, reading letters from people that were imprisoned. And it sounds a little morbid, but it was anything but that. It was actually beautiful and quite just eye-opening because the joy and the hope and the passion that I see in Paul, I was able to see in those letters too. And I read a wide variety from Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail to Sir Thomas More, who was in prison in the Tower of London in the 1500s. I was able to read letters from Nelson Mandela, letters that he wrote to his family during the 27 years that he was imprisoned. And I also read some of the writings from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this amazing theologian who was kept in a Nazi concentration camp, where he eventually lost his life. All these writings and letters had so many things in common that I want to share them with you because they greatly blessed me and they helped me understand how precious suffering can be and how necessary it is for us to fully appreciate the joys and the beauty of life. Now, this is not a recipe on how to deal with suffering. Uh, it is not a formula. These are just findings that I believe will bless you in one way or another. And one of the things that I noticed the most, in fact, the most pervasive trait, what I saw in every single writer was an ability to see beyond their pain and to find meaning in it. And this is something that we see all throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians. In the very first line that I read today, Paul said to them, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The community in Philippi was so concerned about Paul's sufferings, and here he was comforting them and telling them that his suffering was not in vain. Not at all. The gospel was being proclaimed, and for that, he greatly rejoiced. And not only that, he went on to explain that because of his chains, most of the brothers and sisters were more confident in the Lord and daring all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Another reason why he rejoiced. Paul found so much meaning in his suffering that when he faced the possibility of suffering no more and going to be with the Lord, because after all, he was awaiting a trial, he was convinced that he should stay and endure whatever his fate may bring, for his life would result in fruitful labor 
for the gospel. What shall I choose, he said. I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And hence his famous words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's clear understanding of his calling, of that greater purpose that God had for his life, allowed him to navigate his suffering with much more ease than if all he had to focus on was his pain. And what I want to be very careful right here, because I do not want you to hear that all we should do is move beyond our pain and ignore it, or, or that we shouldn't cry or that we shouldn't mourn. That is not what I am saying. Because in every hardship, in every tragedy, in every loss, we should be able to mourn. There should always be room for lament. Lament is one of the healthiest and most biblical things, one of the most biblical ways to deal with our suffering. We see this in Paul himself. We see it in Jesus when we wept over Jerusalem. We see it all throughout the Psalms with the songs of lament. Instead of hiding the pain, instead of running away, instead of trying to get so busy day and night, these people, these characters in the Bible, leaned into their pain and expressed their grief. And we would do ourselves a great deal of good if we followed that example and leaned into our own areas of pain. Let me ask you a question. What is the first thing that comes to mind when hardship comes your way? When bad news hit you? When that diagnosis is confirmed? When an, when an affair is uncovered? Why me? Why now? How can I fix it? How can I get rid of this pain? Where do I run away to? That's usually how we respond, or at least that's how I respond most of the times, and that is normal. That is okay. But the way of lament allows us to access parts of our souls that we usually ignore, those parts where we experience deep pain, deep sadness, deep, deep sorrow. But guess what? Those are the same parts of our soul where we get to experience deep pleasure, deep contentment, and deep, deep joy. Deep joy. Leaning into our suffering can be one of the best things we can do to allow our souls to experience deep joy. A few weeks ago, my mom had to be rushed to the hospital. She had some medical complications that I don't need to get into, but the one thing you do need to know is that her life was on the line. And doctors could not operate on her right away, so they had to wait, wait for 24 hours. My mom was, no joke, literally dying, and we had to wait for 24 long hours for her to get her surgery. And when I got these news, I did not know how to deal with them. That day I was very busy. I had many things to do at work. And I thought to myself, well, 
I'm good that I'm busy, and I, frankly, I do, not, I do not have time to deal with this. So I got myself busy, and I came to church, and then I saw Pastor Dave and Pastor Paul, and I talked to them, and I shared with them what was happening. And I don't know how I shared these things with them, but they kept looking at me, kind of leaning towards me with eyes wide open, saying, are you sure you're okay? And I kept saying, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. God is in control. God is in control. I'm okay. This is a really big deal, Gabby. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay, and I have a meeting in just a second, so catch you later. So I went to my next meeting. And in that meeting, I was with a friend, and I told her what was happening, and she asked me, are you sure you want to meet today? We don't have to meet today. I'm sure we need to meet today. It's all okay. Well, do you want to at least pull your phone out in case anything happens, an emergency, that I can reach you? And I said, nope, I left my phone at home because I don't want to hear about it. I mean, who leaves their phone at home nowadays? It's like leaving half of you behind. <laughs> I left my phone at home. I did not want to deal with it. And I went on like that the entire day. I had like three or four more meetings. And I did the exact same thing. But then I got to my apartment. And as soon as I shut that door behind me, I fell to my knees and bawled. And I cried and cried and cried, and I was curled up in a ball, and I could not stop crying because I could not bear the thought of losing my mom. And those tears and that pain reminded me of just how much I love my mother and how much I need her. And this may sound a little weird, but in that pain, I felt so alive, so full of emotions, and so grateful that I had someone in my life whom I loved that much and who loved me that much in return. So I cried myself to sleep. And my mom went into surgery in the morning. And you can only imagine the joy that I felt when I found out that his, her surgery was successful. In less than 24 hours, I went from, going, from being in the darkest hole, feeling the biggest, saddest, most profound pain, to feeling the deepest, most amazing, most profound joy. Suffering. Suffering has a way of bringing a deeper meaning to joy and to life itself, doesn't it? Another thing that I noticed that brought a lot of joy to the people that I read this week, including Paul, was knowing that they were not alone. For many of us, suffering makes us isolate ourselves. We see it as a weakness or as something to be ashamed of. But all those things Paul addresses in his letter. And he invites us to think of our suffering as opportunities to reach out to others and to bond with them in ways that can be extremely meaningful. And I will continue to rejoice, he said, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Here we see a Paul who recognizes that he is being carried by others, by the prayers of the community in Philippi and by the Spirit of God that is always with him. 
Later on in the letter, Paul thanks the Philippians for sending Epaphroditus to him. Not only were they praying for him, they also sent provisions for Paul and a person to look after him while he was in jail. What a great community. Do you have any memories of people coming alongside you in moments of deep suffering? Wouldn't you say that those gestures of love brought glimpses of joy to you? Suffering has a way of connecting our souls to others through the bond of compassion, care, and love. Amen. Amen. More often than not, we find ourselves in places of deep pain, and it's the little things, the little things in life, the little gestures of love, what touches our hearts in the most special ways. Let me read to you some sections of a letter that Nelson Mandela wrote to two of his daughters. When he wrote this letter, he had been in prison for seven years. He had 20 more to go. February 4, 1969. My darlings, the nice letter by Zinzi reached me safely. And I was indeed very glad to know that she is now in standard two. When mommy came to see me last December, she told me that both of you had passed your examinations and that Zenny was now in standard three. I now know that Gatho and Maki have also passed. It pleases me very much to see that all my children are doing well. I was also happy to learn that Zenny can cook chips, rice, meat, and many other things. I am looking forward to the day when I will be able to enjoy all that she cooks. It's all about the little things, isn't it? This man had been in prison for seven years under extreme cruelty. And what he was looking forward to was trying a meal that his little daughter could cook. This reminds me of a quote from The Little Prince, which is one of my favorite books of all times. What makes the desert beautiful is that somewhere it hides so well. Are you looking for those wells in your life? Those hidden treasures, those little gems that have the ability to bring deep joy to a suffering heart. Suffering has a way of helping us appreciate the little things that bring great joy to our lives. I'll read one more section of this letter. Zinzi and Seni, it may be long before I come back. It may be soon. Nobody knows when it will be. But I am certain that one day I will be back at home to live in happiness with you until the end of my days. Do not worry about me now. I am happy, well, and full of strength and hope. Hope. There's nothing quite like hope in this world. Hope will keep a person trying, pushing, trusting, striving. Hope is what we see in every single letter of Paul. A hope that rests not in his own strength, but in the power and the promises of Christ Jesus. The promise that one day God shall wipe away all the tears from our eyes 
and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things will pass away. I love this passage. And I say it in almost every sermon. I just find a way to say it. Because it brings me so much joy. In the midst of suffering, Paul reminds us that our hope is in the one who is capable of doing far more than we can ever ask or imagine. A quote that was, by the way, also penned in prison. Whatever the nature of our sufferings, whatever the extent of our pain, whatever our circumstances, our hope is one. Our hope is Jesus, for he is the way, the truth, and the light. And this hope, our hope in Jesus, is what builds our character, is what gives us strength, is what gives us courage, and the ability to say what Paul so eloquently said to the Corinthians. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Suffering has a way of building our faith in ways that nothing else can. And not only our faith, our character, our determination, our strength. But this sermon is about joy. And what I can say about suffering and its relation to joy is that in every single storm we weather, every single challenge that we face gives us the opportunity to get us just a bit closer to God. And in Him, in His presence, we can always find joy. Joy comes not from the changing of our circumstances, but from the own changing presence of God with us. Remember that. The last quote from my readings that I want to share with you is one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote it as he was um, suffering under the Nazi regime. Listen to his words because they provide a great summary of everything that I've been sharing with you. Pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through him, men and women have become greater than through all the joys of the world. It must be so, and I tell myself this in my present situation over and over again. The pain of suffering and of longing, which can often be felt even physically, must be there, and we cannot and need not talk it away but it needs to be overcome every time. And thus there is an even holier angel than the one of pain. That is the one of joy in God. Isn't that a great quote? You see, the test of authentic joy is its compatibility with deep, deep suffering and pain. We may wish things weren't this way, but suffering, my friends, suffering is a must necessary part of the Christian life. We can try to ignore it, we can try to escape it, or we can try to embrace it, lean into it, embrace it, for it will prepare us for the morning joys which will come in this life 
and in the life to come. So my question for you is, where are you today in your own trials and struggles? Have you been able to lament or mourn? Is this a time to allow your family or the church or someone else to carry you? Has God sent anyone your way to show you the beauty of friendship, the joy of knowing yourself companion? Maybe God is inviting you to see beyond your pain and look for meaning, a greater meaning, a greater hope. I'm going to keep going. When was the last time you stopped to enjoy the little things that bring deep joy to your heart? When was the last time you looked at your life, not in light of your current struggle, but in light of the eternal hope? And lastly, how can you embrace your struggle today? So instead of it bringing you down, it can bring you even closer to God. Wherever you are today, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we take communion today, consider him who endured such opposition so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. Part of participating in the life of Jesus is participating in his suffering. And the reason why we partake in his suffering is because one day we will also partake in his glory. Remember that. Remember his suffering and the tremendous value that it had so that we could experience eternal peace and joy in life. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are our hope and our strength and our refuge. We thank you that you truly are all things for us. It is my prayer, God, that you will comfort each person in this room. That you will provide whatever it is that we need. We all need you. We need you way more than we can understand or voice. But you, in your amazing mercy, you meet us right there where we are. So I ask you, God, to allow us to help us embrace you and embrace the pain of this life but also allow us and help us to embrace the hope of you and the hope of Christ. We thank you that you are with us. And as difficult as this is to say, we thank you for our suffering. Thank you that we don't go about it alone. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.